ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome back to the Green Dot EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, Hal Bryan, EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. Over to my left, way across the room, it is... I'm Chris Henry, the Museum Manager. And Chris, uh, this is one of those great days uh, where uh, coinciding with a speaker series presentation uh, that's happening as we're recording happening tonight, uh, we have a guest here in the room in person. Absolutely. And it's it's something I'm really excited about. Sometimes I think we all are guilty of there's really cool stuff in our own backyard and we don't always necessarily go see that, whether it's a museum uh, or just uh, just a cool uh, sight to see. And uh, we're really lucky that we, we turned our lens in that direction. We have Joe Varcoli from Basler Turbo Conversions here with us. Uh, Joe, thank you for being here. Happy, happy to be here, guys. Good morning. And uh, it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk about Basel a little bit with you folks. So happy to talk about the cool things we do here on the other side of Whitman Field and the history of the airplane. That's fantastic. That's great. Well, why don't uh, um, tell us just a, a little bit about uh, about you before we we dive in? You know, so many of our of our guests and people in our world have that common history. You know, just aviation people from when they were little kids and uh, you came into things a bit later didn't you yeah I really did I am I am not the uh, 35 40 year aviation uh, experienced person that a lot of the folks I think that you guys deal with are um, I grew up in the Midwest in Ohio um, I've always been in manufacturing and finance and sales career-wise, but actually my family, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, a lot of them worked for commercial airlines. So I kind of grew up around airplanes, um, always liked airplanes, but really never worked in the airplane or aviation industry at all. Um, got to uh, undergrad engineer, MBA in finance. I've, as I said, I've been in, in, in manufacturing companies in sales capacities and finance capacities for my career. Was semi-retired, was thinking about what to want to do next and looking but not looking that hard. Got a call from a recruiter to say, hey, we're looking for someone over at Basler. And that's I took a look at that and I thought, hey, it's, these guys make airplanes. And <laughs> what the heck? They needed a little bit of help, and I had the right kind of background that they were looking for, so I joined them about five and a half years ago, and I've been the president of the company now for the majority of that time, and having a blast. Terrific. So, walking in the door there, uh, what was your first impression to see what what the production line there looked like? The, the thing that amazed me about, I, I started off with General Motors Corporation, and we had 5,000 employees in a plant that made 5,000 transmissions a day, and it was a city of, in and of itself. Basler is, is like a little hot rod shop. They take one aircraft, the, the C-47, and they convert it. And it's very vertically integrated, and literally with about 75 employees, they take that 85-year-old fuselage and turn it into effectively a brand new airplane. So to see that transformation process that happens within the hangars there, it just kind of kind of blew my socks off. Like I said, I've always been in manufacturing, but it's just a such a unique manufacturing process that happens at, at Basler that I was just intrigued by the whole thing. I thought I'd, it was. I thought I'm looking for the fun job. This is a fun job. Wow, and what was uh, you know what was the reception like from uh, from the employees? It's always an interesting time of a new leader comes in and he's coming from outside and and from a, from a different background. How did that go? Um, it was it actually I think it went I, th- I think it went pretty well. Um, <laughs> we haven't heard anything to the contrary to be clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I think it went fine. Um, you know, I, I did come in with a, with a different background, a different perspective, but I certainly respect what 
that what happens at the organization in the history of the company and what the folks there are doing. And I, and I really, I, I was a student before anything else. I really wanted to learn what happens in the shop, what the process is, how it works, what they do. Um, and again, my background really in sales and finance, I think, um, I brought some things that, that the company really was kind of missing from those functions. Um, the plane somewhat sells itself, but we also kind of over the years keep reinventing what the plane can do, what customers we go after, what markets we go after. And, and I think we were at a point in our history where getting to the, the next evolution of the aircraft was required. And I think um, coming in with a fresh set of eyes is what was maybe necessary there a few years ago. So you mentioned the history here. Uh, you know, could you tell us a little bit about the history of the company and the conversion? Yep, absolutely. So the company was actually founded way back in the 1950s by Warren Basler, thus the name of the company. Um, and Warren was was an aviator. Warren was an entrepreneur. Um, I'm sure many of the folks within EAA are familiar with Warren over the years. Um, it, but Warren started off. It was it was Basler Airlines, and and it was and we had the FBO, which we still have um, over at Whitman. Um, and Warren, back after Vietnam, I guess, was, ended up uh, owning a bunch of DC-3s, some DC-6s, and was essentially running Basler Airlines. It was a cargo airline uh, flying uh, throughout the Midwestern states. He flew a lot of parts for uh, automotive suppliers. Um, I think he flew some like college sports teams around um, with, with threes and sixes um, for the most part. Um, for those of you guys that are aviation nuts, which I probably most of the listeners are, um, the DC-3s have that that beautiful sounding piston, 14-cylinder piston engine when it works right. Um, but getting those engines working consistently, effectively, is becoming had, had become more and more of a challenge. And Warren thought, well, son of a gun, if I tear off those piston engines and turn on through a bolt on a couple of turbine engines on that thing, I can I can make the aircraft a little bit larger, get a more reliable engine, lighter weight, carry more stuff, move more stuff around the Midwestern states. Um, back and this is back in the, the late '80s when he was doing that. Um, it, it was an opportunity, I think, for him to essentially improve what a DC-3 could do. Um, getting STCs from the FAA was probably a little bit easier then than it is today. So back in 88, they started to experiment with that. In 1990, they received the STC, the Supplemental Type Certificate, to modify the C-47. And all of a sudden, over the years, then the, the conversion business took off and the airline business kind of petered away. Still today, we still have the the operating certificate for Basler Airlines, but it really we have a, so we have a Part 135 certificate for that. Although really not active as an airline at all, um, it, and the company has become Basler Turbo Conversions, taking that C47 and turning it into a, into our Basler Turbo BT67. Now, now, once it becomes a BT67, this I mean, it's no longer an, an STC. Is that a whole new type certificate, or how? How exactly does that work if it's not proprietary? Yeah, no, Hal, great question. Um, it, we we do not have a type certificate to make a BT-67. What we have is the supplemental type certificate to take the C-47 and turn it into our BT-67. So the original type certificate is today held by the Boeing Corporation because the Douglas Corporation became McDonnell Douglas, which then was acquired by Boeing. So... Technically, you have to make a C-47 
and turn it into a BT67. So when you look at our conversions and you go up into the cockpit, that there's still that brass nameplate from 1943 when the Douglas Corporation made the C-47. Beneath it is our converted by basal turbo conversions in 2022 into a BT-67. So it's a supplemental type certificate, not the type certificate, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And I, I thought that was the case, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very glad for the, the clarity. Um, Along those lines, you know, you mentioned you know converting C forty sevens, DC threes. Do you truly convert both? Is there is there a substantial difference in converting, say, what was a C forty seven or C fifty three, uh, or a DC three? Um, I'm gonna say yes. Um, so the DC three, the McDonnell Douglas DC three, was originally was made, I think, from thirty six to nineteen thirty six to nineteen forty two. Right. That w- they only made about 607 or 608 of the original DC-3s. That was really the airplane that kind of commercialized air travel and, and, and one of the planes that, that made commercial air travel feasible. The war breaks out, and Rosie the Riveter, they made 10,060-some-odd C-47s, which is a, essentially a reinforced DC-3. So the fuselage... Um, is is reinforced. The center wing is a bit reinforced to be able to take the the gunfire that was that that they were exp- that 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 was that they were exposed to during the war, obviously. Sure. So so that the the war effort that that the greatest generation was responsible for knocked out over the course of only about four years time over ten thousand C forty sevens. So we have to take so so our STC is for the C forty seven specifically, not the DC three, not the C fifty, not any other aircraft. It's just the C forty seven. Specifically the C forty seven. So even though sort of colloquially we look you know, some people will look if they're in the know, oh there's a BT sixty seven, other people say, well there's a turbine powered DC three. They're they're not they're technically wrong, but perhaps not horribly wrong. That's probably that's a right way to say it, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the uh, the model builder in me, of course, just wants to go and like hack the uh, the round engines off of a of a DC three kit. But I know there's there's a lot more that goes into that. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into converting a C forty seven into a Basler? Yep, great question. And yeah, there was a lot more to it. And and I could, I simplify just by saying we rip off these piston engines and glue on these these turbine <laughs> engines. There it is. There's a tad more that goes into it than that. Um, and 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 certainly. Obviously, so we're taking off those WASP engines, and it's a, what we use is the Pratt Whitney PT6A67R specifically as the engine that we put on the aircraft. Um, but there's a huge weight differential between that piston engine and that Pratt Whitney turbine engine um, to the tune of between the two engines about 1,800 1,900 pounds. That moves the center of gravity of the aircraft. A couple ways to compensate for that movement of the center of gravity. What we've chosen to do is literally cut the airplane in half. And stretch it 40 inches. So a BT-67 is three and a half feet longer than a C-47 is. Now what that does for us from a, from a marketing standpoint, obviously that gives us that much more room in the cabin, but also the C-47 was operated by a pilot, a co-pilot, and a navigator in a third, in a, that third station behind the pilot. Well, we don't. Ha- we eliminate that as well. We only have a pilot and a co-pilot. So the additional space of that as well as the additional 40 inches, gives us about 35% more cargo capacity in a BT-67 than a C-47. So from Warren Basler's perspective back in 1988 through 1990, when they were kind of figuring out how to do this, you got a lot more room inside that thing, 
with lighter weight engines, you have a lighter weight airplane. You can carry more, more. You have more cargo space and more weight capabilities. So, so that is another huge change. And then over time, as the planes continue to get older and older, um, we're not allowed to call it a new airplane, but we are also a part, a, a part twenty-five. We, we manufactured a FAA part twenty-five, so it's so that provides for us a zero accumulated fatigue standard. So when the FAA comes and inspects us, for us to maintain that zero accumulated fatigue standard, essentially, because these things are now 85 years old, the plane is effectively brand new. 90% of the original airplane is recycled, thrown away, and replaced with new parts. Um, The fuel system, the hydraulics, the electrical lines, everything is taken out and replaced. Every rib, every spar, almost the entire skin of the aircraft is is replaced. So when you see a C-47 that's 85 years old and you see a BT-67 that comes out of our shop in 2023, it looks like a brand spanking new airplane. And, and again, we can't call it that, but effectively that's what it is. All right. Now, building on that just a little bit, and and I think you've, you may well have just answered this question, and so I, I don't mean it to be redundant, but if you go to an airplane person and uh, and say, hey, we've we've got this platform and it's it's a converted C forty seven, they're going to say, okay, great, I trust that, I trust that airplane. I mean, that airplane is is legendary and and iconic as they come, but if you're going to a customer. Uh, who is just out airplane shopping, and maybe they don't have that aviation background? How do you sell them on the idea of don't you know? And, and not that there are necessarily many competitors in that space, and there's certainly a few. But how do you how do you tell them? Well, don't go buy a new airplane. We've got one that's a mere 85 years old, but we've we've done a lot to it. How do how do you how do you bridge that gap it, it, if it exists? It, it does exist, and it is a challenge. And, and one you know one of the challenges are is is the fact that it. We, it still maintains that original 1943 nameplate on it because the plane was originally manufactured in 1943. So, so for some of our customers, when they have to go get insurance on that airplane, they're insuring a plane that, that an insurer thinks ought to be worth a couple hundred thousand dollars and is worth $10 million or more. So, so that's, there's always a challenge to explain, yeah, even though it was made in 1943, it really isn't a 1943 airplane anymore. And candidly, Hal, until you really come and look at it and see it and see the process and see what we do to it, it really is hard to explain that to folks. So it, it's one of those, a picture's worth a thousand words, and we can show you the pictures of a new one versus what we start off with. But it it, it really becomes come and look at the airplane, walk through the airplane, look at the cockpit, look at, let us start pulling some panels for you and showing you underneath the skin what we're doing to that aircraft. Walk through the shop and see the conversion process itself. And it's that, it, it, it in, many, in many cases, takes that level of, of, of a sales call to be able to convince the person that, yeah, I'm not getting an 85-year-old airplane anymore. Right. That's fascinating. Well, can you tell us a little bit about some of um, whichever you're able to share, you know, some of the operators of your aircraft? Um, yeah, and, and maybe before I talk about operators, maybe maybe um, market segments and end uses, is, is maybe I'll only start with that because um, it, 
the, the conversion process, as I said, is, is pretty lengthy. Um, it takes us today about 50,000 man hours to convert an aircraft. We're a fairly small company, so we only have the capacity to do one and a half to two conversions per year. Um, the first one came off the line in 1990, so this is year 33 now of, of aircraft conversions. And right now we have numbers 69, 70, and 71 in the shop. So. Uh -huh. So we've, there, there aren't thousands of BT-67s out there. There's 70 of them out there. Um, and over the years, we've, we've really kind of worked in a couple of different end-use areas. Cargo, it's fairly simple, straightforward application. Um, a lot of military applications around the world. Um, it, the airplane is not pressurized. It can fly for a long time. As airplanes go, it flies fairly low and fairly slow. So when you think about what do you do with an airplane and why would you want a non-pressurized airplane that'll fly low and slow, we also can get in and out of undeveloped runways. The advantage of the C-47, the DC-3, is short takeoff landing runways. We can land in a farm field. I mean, it's, it is a very diverse airplane in that regard. It's a niche aircraft also. So the cargo applications, obviously, were just in troop transport, personnel transport, um, but also a lot of, of, of scientific applications. We have probably 14 or 15 airplanes each year that go down to the Antarctic. Um, we, we can put skis on the airplane, and they will literally land in the Antarctic on, on the polar ice caps down there. So a lot of scientific research, I'd say global warming is good for our business because a lot of the studies that are done for the melting ice caps, for water salinity, for ice thickness, all of that stuff in Greenland, in, in, in Antarctica, is, is done from Basler BT-67 airplanes. So we've got some Canadian operators that, that actually will they'll charter all of that work through, through the, the, the summer down there, which is our winter up here. In fact, they're just coming back now from Antarctica. The three operators in Canada do that for us. Um, as I said, mentioned a lot of military applications as well. Um, and then a lot of geophysical work also. So um, a lot of mapping. Um, we, we're used, uh, we've got a couple of military contracts right now that I probably can't speak too much about, but there's a lot of maritime patrol. We've got some folks in some South American countries right now that are flying our airplane looking for folks that either are growing crops that aren't corn and soybeans and looking <laughs> for bad guys in boats that might be moving those crops that aren't corn and soybeans. So we can put some pretty high-tech LiDAR equipment. We can put a FLIR ball on the front of that airplane so Big Brother can watch pretty well from the aircraft. Um, if, that, if, that kinda, if I'm painting a picture there. Absolutely. I remember watching a, a news report uh, once years ago. There was a uh, – there was a fairly large oil spill somewhere. And when they were showing the coverage, there was a Basler flying over trying to help clean up uh, the oil spill. Correct. Yeah. So we, we, one of our customers is actually down in Homa, Louisiana. Um, they have a, a one Basler and two DC-3s, and they work for a consortium of oil companies in the Gulf. Um, I think it's called, clean, well, the, the, the consortium is, I believe, called Clean Gulf. Um, but this operator is essentially... Um, like a fire truck is there on standby duty to whenever something bad happens in the Gulf, they can go and, and, and essentially lay down the fire suppressant or the, or the, or the, or the, 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 the desiccant 
materials to, to try to break up that oil spill. So, so when that accident happened, it was literally about three or four weeks only after we delivered the brand new Basler to them. And um, they, were, they were flying days and days and days in a row trying to, 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 to diminish the, the cause of that, the, 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 the fallout from that spill. Wow. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, sort of flying for days and days, days, these long, long missions and things, what is uh, sort of typical range and endurance and those, those sorts of things around the airplane? Great question. Um, so if, uh, one of the STCs and we've probably over the years, we've dealt about 30 separate STCs for, for what the airplane can do, depending upon, um, what are usually those are driven by customer requirements. Um, but we also offer long range fuel in the aircraft. The original, uh, C-47 had fuel tanks really only in the center wings, which provided about 800 gallons of fuel. We have an STC that, uh, that allows us to also put fuel in the outer wings for an additional 800 gallons. So, wow. so we can carry about 10,000 pounds of fuel. So if our customer is fully loaded with, with the extended fuel tanks, the range then is about 2,100 nautical miles, about 12, 12 and a half hours, depending upon weather conditions, how uh, height they're flying, uh, atmospheric conditions, things like that. But about 12 hours and 2,100 miles is, is the maximum range of the aircraft. That's amazing. Are most of them equipped with a lavatory of any kind? <laughs> as, as somebody in his mid-50s, that's my automatic next question. Well, you know, 12 hours in an airplane, the answer is yes, they are. We can we can put a lavatory in there for you. Um, it's it's better than using just a Gatorade bottle. So, And candidly, that's one of the things that we it helps us from a marketing standpoint because some of our competitors – are smaller airplanes where you don't have those laboratory facilities. So if you are on a mission, and a lot of our folks are there doing surveillance type work, if you're in a King Air, you're flying for four hours and you need a Gatorade bottle. And for us, we are going to fly for 12 hours. We've got a, a full laboratory in the back of the aircraft. Um, and it's a large enough aircraft. We can, we can, you know, rotate pilots. We can throw a hammock, hammock in the back of the airplane. So for some of the longer term surveillance work that's being done with our aircraft right now, it does provide some comfort that the smaller aircraft don't have. Well, and that, uh, you made an interesting point there because, you know, we'd mentioned competitors a little bit earlier and you're mentioning them now. You talk about something like a King Air and, you know, that I automatically think of, well, that's, you know, instinctive. Well, that's that's a lot smaller. I mean, it's maybe not dramatically smaller, but it is sort of the next size down in categories. Right. Um, if, if you don't mind me asking, who are your other competitors? Uh, yeah, Al, it's, it's a kind of a hard question to answer because I, I want to say we really don't have a direct competitor for the airplane. We're the only folks that do what we do. We have the STC to take the uh, the, the C forty seven and convert it into the into the BT sixty seven. So other competitors are really other airplanes that are either going to be larger or smaller. Um, and and they're all at very different price points with different capabilities. So what it really comes down to is for us to sell the aircraft, it, it's, Mr. Customer, what do you want to do with it? Here's what this airplane can do. What is, what is your mission profile? What, do, what are your needs? So at, at our price point, and our operating costs are extremely low. As, as airplanes go, it's, it's a very easy airplane to maintain. It's a very economical airplane to fly. The acquisition cost is, we believe, not obscene. 
So um, it's it's all it's obviously in the eyes of the beholder. That's, there, um, that's maybe not the, like the the best marketing slogan I've ever heard, but I think it may be one of the most honest. Come to Basler, our prices are not obscene. But but that, that, that being said, it's it's not an inexpensive aircraft. It's a lot more than you can buy a DC three or C forty seven for a couple hundred thousand dollars. We're putting $3 million worth of, of PT-6 engines on that airplane and putting 50,000 man-hours into it with new avionics and new hydraulics and new electrical. So you can kind of do the math. The number is it's not a $200,000 airplane. So It is just it's fascinating to me because as soon as you mentioned competitors, I start thinking, and I can only come up with anything that's either sort of in production now or sort of currently out there. Uh, I come up with stuff that's smaller. I come up with stuff that's a bit bigger, and and nothing that really seems suited for the variety of of airfields and and all that kind of stuff. That's fascinating. It it, it really is a unique niche product. Like I say, for most folks, why would I want an airplane that's not pressurized that flies low and slow? Uh, because it's really cool. <laughs> I mean, you're talking to old airplane geeks <laughs> yeah. over here. There's but. And that's Point what got me there. It's, it is really cool, yeah. but it is also very. It's a very unique air, airplane that that most air folk. Everyone's fascinated by it. Everyone loves it. Everyone, it's, it's the DC three. It's an iconic airplane. Let's face it. It's an iconic airplane, but we've have converted it into something very different. Very, it still looks like a DC three, and it, from a distance you think, "Oh, there's a DC 3 You get closer. No, it's not. It's got different engines on it. It's a little bit bigger. It's and if you look at some of our customers, we've got. A FLIR ball on the front. We've got a radium on the bottom. There's all sorts of antennas on that airplane. So again, the application for the aircraft, because it can fly low and slow for a long time, there's some really cool applications that our customers are doing with that airplane. And there isn't a competitive plane at the price point for those certain applications. We can get in and out of small airfields, undeveloped airstrips. Again, for the right application, there's not a better airplane out there. But you that's and our our trick from a marketing and sales standpoint, who needs what this plane can do? And there's there's our marketing challenge, our sales challenge. Well, and from a history buff standpoint, I have to be uh, honest and tell you, I'm I'm guilty of like sitting on the other side of your fence sometimes and running the numbers of the planes that are in there and <laughs> and researching it. And what I love is that you're keeping these airframes alive. I mean, these are airframes that would have maybe otherwise not still be here. Uh, that are not only going to still fly, but still work for a living. I, I think that's so neat that uh, these pieces of history are still very relevant and, and earning their keep, if you will. Yeah, I, I, thank you for that. I, I think that's an accurate statement. I appreciate that. Um, and and it's it, it's kind of it's in, it's always fun at EAA time because we give some tours during EAA, and. And the, the, the airplane geeks that show up always want to go back in the boneyard and look around at the old 80-year-old <laughs> airplanes, and they're tracking the end numbers, and they're, this plane did this, and this plane did that. And you know, in most cases, when we're done with the conversion, the end number changes, the ownership changes. It, but we also have a, a, some of our folks that do keep track of what the plane was. And, and if, if any of you are really tracking some bachelor history, We've done a couple of not, we do we convert to the DC to the C forty seven into the into the BT sixty seven but we've also done a couple of World War two C forty seven rebuilds so that's all brother which was the iconic airplane the lead airplane to the to the D Day invasion they had the seventy fifth anniversary a couple of years ago in France 
we were the ones that, with the help of the, well, largely with the help of the commemorative Air Force, um, we did the the conversion of that airplane as well into and and kept it as amazingly accurately historically relevant as it was in 1945 as it is as it is today, and to make that airplane conversion and and make it legal to fly in today's FAA with all the requirements that you need to be able to fly an airplane um, was quite a challenge for our folks. But for those of you that may have still seen That's All Brother, um, it's a really, really cool uh, rebuild, not a conversion, because that's still the C-47 that, that is looks brand spanking new. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And that uh, – um you know, it was amazing to see like the the 101st Airborne and 82nd Airborne paratroopers that were actual World War II vets right. uh, reunited with that aircraft yeah. as yeah. as incredible. Yeah, there, we there's some really cool stories of, of some of the some of the some of the veterans that that when they saw the airplane and, and saw what we did to it, it was it was really kind of very rewarding for our employees to to to, to see that and to be involved with that. Was that kind of a challenge for your guys to not? modernize it i mean was that because you're so used to was there some sort of like oh wow we have to not do that it, it, i mean it really isn't what we do it's not our core business um it was a, it was it was a, a fun project uh, i think I, we're, I'm, we're, I think we're all very proud of it we're glad we did it um but it was a challenge and, and, and it was really hard to for, for, to keep it historically accurate so so our guys worked very closely with folks from from caf to make sure some and, and, and the CAF guys did a lot of the interior work to 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 make to maintain the authenticity and had some original equipment, the original seat belts and the original uh, navigator station equipment was was really they did that. We really did more of the actual uh, the airworthiness of the aircraft and and, and making sure that uh, we replaced what needed to be replaced to make sure that it was still going to be airworthy with with. All of the new wiring and the new hydraulic lines and the rebuilt every and you know and the rebuilt spars and, and airframe, but to keep it like it was in 1945, we're, we're back referencing manuals back and forth on a pretty ongoing basis back then, and that was a little bit before I started with the company. But uh, I certainly heard all the stories and I've seen the airplane, and it's it was a super cool project. And honestly, I always thought that was a, a terrific feather in the cap for for Basler because. Uh, from a business standpoint, this is, you know, it's a C-47. We can, we can and do inevitably romanticize them and think about their role and, and the history and the people who would have been on board and stepped out of them at altitude and all these sorts of things. At, at the end of the day, and, and though at, for Basler, the business, this is a, this is a raw material. This right. is a, this is a commodity and this is a platform on which your your business is based and there's as you said 10,000 of them plus built but that's not infinite right. and uh, I, I was so impressed that 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 Basler was willing to look at this and say you know what this one is special we're going to work with uh, all the different uh, powers that be and and find a way to to preserve it even though um, if if we're just looking at at P&L that may not have made sense. I mean, we may have said, you know what, this is this is more valuable to us as a BT sixty seven. But and I I I I loved seeing that. I love seeing that uh, you know that that 
human approach to it uh, alongside the the you know nobility of the business yeah I, th- I think I, I again appreciate that comment and, and you're right I think it was I think it was it was a, a recognition on on management's perspective to say that we want to recognize and acknowledge where we have come from where that airplane has come from and what it has done for us so to, to do that especially for the 75th commemorative anniversary and the, and the flyovers that happened in Normandy and throughout Europe that summer um, it was a great project to be involved in it is certainly it's not our core business um, but it was it was it was the right thing to do it was a neat thing to do um, we don't want to do one of those every single year, obviously. Um, but I, I, and I don't think it really took away from raw material for us because, again, it, it there are enough there are enough fuselages out there for us to convert that it 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 took some obviously a fair number of shop hours. So it, it maybe hurt a little bit of our P and L that year when we were when we did the project. Um, but. I think the the long-term goodwill that came from that, and I think even for our own employees to be involved with that, it gave them a much deeper appreciation for what they do on a day-to-day basis. To, 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 there's a huge pride factor that our employees have, um, and and I think to, that gave it a historical perspective that you normally don't get in, in your work-a-day career. Again, it's one of the things that makes the company very unique. It feels like uh, if you'd go back to Ford production and have them restore Model T, you know, it's it's sort of pan tribute to to where the the company, uh, you know, a vehicle that's very important to the company's history. Right. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So you know, something I've always been been curious about, and uh, uh, again, it, some of this may uh, venture into sort of proprietary uh, territory. I don't mean that at all, but um, I've I've seen pictures of some of the BT sixty sevens in some of the military applications. Uh, if, if unless I'm mistaken, I've seen some of them that are actually armed yes. themselves. I've always been curious how does that how does that work from your standpoint? Are you sort of building everything, but the 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 mounts and things, and then it it goes to them, and they're completely responsible for uh, for putting the the well the the cool guns and stuff on it. I don't know yeah, how else to yeah, put it. Or- yeah, yes, essentially, yes. So, the, so the only the only application that we have that is that does have guns on it is actually in Colombia today. So, so we have sold to the Colombian National Police and to the Colombian Air Force um, nine different aircraft. Um, three of them are are gunships are, are armed with fifty caliber um, Gatlings. Um, we did all of the. Uh, fuselage work necessary to the 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 the, the mounts the, the the windows the airfoil scoops so that the so that the smoke would not build up inside the cabin all of that was done at basler the actual mounting of the guns themselves were that that got to a a a, a security level that we didn't have the clearance for so at that point the, the airplane left us the guns got mounted and they've been serving in colombia now for Oh, 20 plus years for those wow. at this point. So they've been down there for a while. A couple of them uh, did not fare well. The, the FARC kind of got to two of those airplanes. Um, so there's a couple less flying than were delivered. Um, they weren't real happy. I and mean, obviously when you're, you're looking for bad guys, sometimes bad guys find you before you find them. So, um, but, they, but they still fly today. Um, and as I referenced earlier, looking for crops that aren't corn and soybeans, that's a lot of that's be happening in Colombia right now. So. Of course. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Just out of curiosity, um, 
do you hear a lot of feedback from folks who have flown your straightforward C-47 and the Basler and, and sort of their thoughts and what the challenges might be to convert? Uh, or, or is it just straight people just learning to fly straight with the Basler? Um, I, I think, you know, everyone loves the sound of the piston engine. So, so you get you get the folks that that, and at this point, there are not a lot of C forty seven pilots running around anymore. You got to kind of get up to Alaska or maybe down to the South America where there's still some DC threes and C forty sevens flying around. Not a lot of that in the Midwestern states. Um, there's a few, but those are primarily folks in museum type applications. So we don't have a ton of DC three C forty seven pilots. Um, everyone, as I said, loves the sound of that piston air, of that of that piston engine, but our the the aircraft, the, the BT sixty seven, those PT six engines are powerful, and that it it's smooth and it's quick, and when you're and when you're sitting on the end of the runway and you and you take off and you hit it, it's a it's a like it's aviation like it's it, it, their airplanes and they're cool. Um, but you're taking this iconic DC-3, and and it's a we're turning it into a new airplane, and so the pilots absolutely love flying it. It's there are a lot of folks we, we have to we we also provide training for our customers' pilots and for their mechanics. So it, there are a lot. Everyone wants to get typed in the aircraft because of again the, the iconicness of a DC-3. So, but it's a tail dragger. So. And I'm not a pilot, but I've sat in the cockpit. And when you sit in the cockpit and you're on the ground, you can't see the runway. It's you're looking up at the sky because you're at about a 14 degree angle. So when they're taxiing on the ground, they're literally looking out the side window to see where they are. So it's it's a very different experience from that standpoint. Um, but the the plane itself, it's it it they just float in the sky. It's a it's a it's a very cool airplane. Very neat. Very neat experience. And I don't know if you would have any info to, to uh, contradict or back this up in any way. I would hazard a guess that because of the, the tail dragger aspect of it, um, that you, it's probably uh, an easier transition for an existing multi-engine tailwheel pilot who maybe doesn't have any turbine time to come into it versus a high-time King Air pilot who's never flown a tail dragger. I think that's a, I would agree with that statement. Um, getting the hang of a tail dragger is a little bit of a challenge. And, and when we're, and when we train our customers pilots, it's always, we always spend some time understanding what their, what their experiences are, what airplanes are they typed in, have, have, what kind of tail dragger time do they have? Um, we, interestingly, um, we, we, you know, we, we maintain our existing fleet. We sell a lot of spare parts. Um, wing tips get tend to get damaged on our airplane a fair bit because uh, when they're on taxiing on the ground, they're not quite familiar with what that. It's a 97 foot wingspan on the on that airplane, and if you're not really familiar with what you're driving and what's happening on that ground, uh, wing tips tend to get doinked a fair bit of the time for sure. us, which is good spare part sales for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, one question I had is, um, and I know they come in a different, I guess, configurations, but 
on the Basler turbo uh, conversions, does the big cargo door stay intact or do you put more of a passenger door in or is it just up to the customer? It really depends on what the customer wants. So um, we have we we offer a few different options for that. Um, most most have the removable air door. So and again, especially for 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 cargo drops um, in in some of those remote areas. So for for um, areas where we're trying to where our customer might want to get supplies in a remote area, so we can pull that door out in flight and then and drop. Um, obviously, for paratroop, the paratroop door, most have that double the double cargo door. Um, and that's fairly standard in most cases. We can put an air stair in there, although that's kind of rare because there aren't a lot of passenger travel applications for the aircraft. We also have an overhead cargo door, which is essentially a flap over the top that lets us put in a, a traditional, um, what are they, a C5 container, the, the the C5. So we can put up to five of those containers in the aircraft as well. Wow, from a, from above, lower down from well, a crane well, or just? Well, uh, I mean, up from a, from a, from a forklift. So, oh, sure, gotcha, yeah, so. okay. But but the, that 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 big uh, C five container, yeah. five of those will fit inside of the uh, inside of the aircraft. That's amazing! Wow, that's incredible. And, and so 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 just talking about that, I mean, it, it, the the air, the empty aircraft weighs about sixteen thousand pounds, um, depending upon how it's outfitted. Our maximum takeoff weight is thirty thousand pounds. So if you have ten thousand pounds of fuel, that gives you four thousand pounds of cargo or less fuel and more cargo. Um, it's a, it, it really gives the, our customers some versatility in terms of what they want to do and, and, and how they want to fly the airplane and, and what they want to do with that aircraft. But it's also about a 43-foot-long interior cabin, about 1,225 cubic feet. So there's a lot of space inside that for our scientific guys, for our military guys that have got some surveillance equipment on the aircraft. They've got computerized workstations in there. So the in, in with with the Brownlin in there, the ability to convert the aircraft from one application to another to another is is can be done literally in a matter of a couple of hours. I can't think of what it would be, but is there another platform out there? If we look ahead at at you know what's Basler Turbo doing in ten, twenty, thirty years, you know, is there uh, is there another platform out there that that even pie in the sky you guys could imagine working with? Would would you be you know, souping up surplus C-130s or something, uh, or is there, what do you think? Uh, good question. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big airplane. <laughs> um, you know, we, we get, we do get asked the question, you know, how long are you going to keep doing this? We think there are probably three or 400 c forty seven still out there for us to get our hands on. And given the way we do the conversion anyhow, Candidly, we need the brass nameplate, and we can almost build the airplane around it. We've got PMA for over 7,500 parts. Um, we're pretty vertically integrated. So at, at two a year and 400 of them out there, I guess I'll get me and our folks to retirement pretty well. And I, I think, and is, 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 Hal, I think as long as we can find customers that have a need for that niche of an aircraft, there probably isn't much reason for us to not continue to make them for the next three or four or five decades, I, I, as long as that need continues to be there. There's enough, there's enough inventory for us to be able to call on to convert. That's amazing. Um, you know, before too much longer, uh, you know, we're going to be seeing the 100th anniversary. We're getting there. Of, of some of these airplanes. Um, I, I'll be interested to see what you guys do to mark that. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's we're about 15 years away from yeah. that. Um, so I'm giving you fair warning. The <laughs> clock is ticking, though. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, there's no reason for us not to be doing this 15 years from now. Um, I do believe that it, the one of the markets that we're that we're really exploiting right now, from a customer standpoint, is is ISR, Information Surveillance Reconnaissance. And again, that some of that is it's maybe a sign of the times in the world that we live in today. Um, but it's, it's border patrol, it's, it's monitoring what's happening on the ground. It's, it's surveillance. There's, uh, that has become for us a, a, a growing, uh, market opportunity. We've got some militaries that are looking at that very closely, not only our U S military, but several foreign militaries as well. Um, so that has been where our, our marketing focus has been and where the opportunities have been for us in the last couple of few years. And realistically, guys, I don't think I see that changing for a while. So, Wow. Well, what a, what a fascinating piece of the aviation world you're responsible for. And as, as Chris pointed out, right, uh, right here in our backyard, um, I, my only regret is it's taken us uh, this long to, to have you on and to, and to, to meet you and get to know you. Um, but with that, uh, we are up against the clock. So we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here. And again, as we're recording this, it'll be, uh, it'll be in the past when you hear it. Uh, but Joe is speaking at our museum. So hopefully some of the folks that, uh, that attended that have uh, the chance to listen to this as well. But we really appreciate your time and, and participation. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Thanks for the chance to come and talk about the airplane a little bit and, and happy to do again in the future. And maybe 15 years from now <laughs> for the 100th anniversary, we can we can talk about what we've done in the prior 15 at that point. I'm, put, I, I'm putting it on the calendar right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't wait. I will I will toast to that. And and your great grandkids can come on and tell us about what happened with the 200th anniversary. <laughs> great, great. I don't know how many greats there needs to be. Rob edited a bunch of greats, so I sound <laughs> sound smart, like I can do math on the fly. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much again, uh, and thanks as always to everyone out there listening. Thank you so much to those people who take the time to leave us a, a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate those. We've got a good solid rating there, and uh, the more of those we get, the better, and, and the more resources we can devote to doing the episodes here. Uh, we're also always grateful to get uh, feedback uh, about the show, uh, constructive or uh, or positive. Uh, those usually come in to email at feedback at ea.org, or if you go to our uh, hangar flying uh, digital publication for EA, inspire.ea.org. Every episode has its own uh, sort of landing page there where you can listen to it and, and leave comments. And uh, we read those and we appreciate them and we take them to heart. So with that, thanks once again to everyone out there for listening. Please keep it up. And we look forward to catching up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. Green Dot.